So Exodus chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 10. These are the names of the son of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Isariah, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob, number 70 in all, Joseph was already in Egypt. Now all Joseph and his brothers and all their generation died. But Israel, the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if a war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pitium and Ramses as stores, uh, cities for Pharaoh. But the more they um, were oppressed, the more that they multiplied and spread. So the Israelites came to dread the so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of works in the field. In, their, all, in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sitra and Puta, when you're, hitting, um, when you're helping the Hebrew women during the birth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared the Lord and did not do what the king had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before midwives arrive. So God was so kind to the midwives, and the, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is, um, that is a boy is born. You must throw them into the Nile. But if it is a girl, um, let her live. Now the name of a tribe of Levi, um, sorry, the, now the name of the tribe of Levi married to a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer, um, when she hid him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at this distance to see what was going to happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to, to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent the female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse her for me. I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Uh, it'll be a great help if you have that passage uh, open in front of you, because we'll be working our way uh, through it uh, as we go. Uh, 
I wonder uh, if you've heard anything from uh, the Australian comedian Tim Minchin. Uh, I'm not sure, as you have listened to his uh, comedy songs, how you feel about him. Uh, This is him here. Uh, He kind of does these humorous songs and piano and uh, he's a very witty guy. Uh, One of his main targets is religion. His songs are irreverent and they're clever and they're pitiless, absolutely pitiless in the way they mock God and prayer and anything spiritual. Now, I don't particularly want to single him out. Um, It's kind of a common trope that uh, there's comedians out there that do bits like this. Uh, They point to the hypocrisy of Christians or they they point to, to suffering and so then they mock God, they challenge the, the, the very notion of God. How do you respond to that? Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, I think that can give you doubts uh, about God. You know, if, if God is all-powerful, how is it that this guy can be here teasing him? It, it kind of, you, you, it makes you wonder, what, what is going on? What's going on? Uh, well, Exodus 1 is going to help us uh, tonight to think that through uh, because uh, God having opponents, that is not a new thing. That is not a new thing. Exodus 1. Let's have a look at this uh, amazing opening to this book. Exodus opens with one big tension. There's too many Israelites and the Egyptians are freaking out. Uh, The problem's there in verse 6. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Now, Pharaoh is worried at this point. He's got all these foreigners uh, flooding in and he knows that if there's a war, they could switch sides and then they are sunk. Uh, So... Uh, What's he going to do about it? But there's something in the text that tells us that this is about more than immigration, more than just politics. Pharaoh here is opposing the purposes of God because this language is the language of God's blessing. Uh, There in verse 7, you get exactly the same words that you get in Genesis 1, when God creates the world. Listen to this. Uh, This is Exodus uh, 1, 7. And look at the the words there. Uh, They they were fruitful. They increased in numbers. The land was filled with them. And then have a look at Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same language. Uh, Here is God's people fulfilling what God wants from creation. The the promises of God are coming true in the the people of Abraham. And so right from the start, we see that uh, Pharaoh uh, isn't just opposing Israel, he's opposing God. These things that God has promised that are coming about, Pharaoh wants to put an end to it. And that's one of the keys to understanding Exodus, that this is not Pharaoh versus Moses, this is Pharaoh versus Yahweh, the Creator God. And so the rest of this uh, opening section is about Pharaoh's different attempts 
uh, to put a stop to this, to sort this out. I should really say uh, Pharaoh's three hilarious attempts to sort this out uh, because it's meant to be a funny chapter. Uh, Pharaoh's first attempt is to put the Israelites down by force, to, to force them into slavery. Uh, but did you notice that it doesn't work? In fact, the complete opposite happens. Uh, verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour, labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. More, more. They multiplied and spread the same words again. God takes this oppression and he flips it back on itself. That is exactly what God does. Uh, The tighter Pharaoh grips, uh, the more they slip through his fingers. He oppresses them, he presses them down and they grow bigger. And the Egyptians dread them more, and so they treat them more harshly. You think, what's going to happen again? You're going to go around for round two, the same process? What do you think is going to happen? God wins. And God's plan to bless the world is unstoppable, no matter what Pharaoh does. So Pharaoh moves on to attempt number two, birth control. Verse 15 there. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose name were Shipra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. There he is, he's trying to get to the midwives. Don't, Don't kill all the babies, just the boys. Just get rid of the soldiers. And so Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, uh, calls them in, these Hebrew women, and he gives them an ultimatum. And can you imagine how scared they are at this point as he threatens them, tells them what to do? And yet, verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God. They feared God and not Pharaoh. I love these midwives. They are out and out. They're the spunkiest midwives in the history of the world. Uh, They go in, they have this audience with Pharaoh, and then they come out and they just look at each other like, "Uh, no, we're not doing that. Uh, I don't don't think we'll do that. And so Pharaoh, for all his power, he's thwarted by these two midwives. And so he calls them in and he says, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And they're like, oh, it's the ladies. They're too vigorous. (laughs) And they're standing right in front of him and they're trolling him. They are out and out. He's, He's being taken out by the ladies and he can't get what he wants because the Hebrew women are too strong for him. Even with their fake excuse... He's just getting owned online. This is cyberbullying before it was a thing. (laughs) The midwives, see, they side with God and so they are fearless. God is in control. So verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased. They became even more numerous, even more, more. 
God's promise to put more and more people to fill the earth with his people cannot be stopped. There it is. Increased, even more numerous. And then, now this is how you know it's getting funny. Verse 21, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. They get families. It's irony on irony. The very ladies that he wants to get rid of the Hebrew babies, God gives them babies. It's incredible. Pharaoh says, kill all the babies, and the midwives are like, yay, baby shower. It's just, <laughs> they keep on going at it. I love these midwives. They're absolutely the best. Our fourth child uh, is due in 10 days, and I'm seriously considering one of these names for our baby girl. <laughs> Maybe not Pua. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's, Liana won't go for that. But Shifra, that's a nice name. That's a great name. And in fact, those names, that is the final burn. That is the final burn here. Here we are, three and a half thousand years after the fact, and I can tell you the names of two Hebrew midwives, but I can't tell you the name of Pharaoh. Uh, You you read the scholarship, huge sections of books uh, devoted to Trying to, trying to work out who, which pharaoh this was, where he fit in history, and, um, you know, he built Pithom and Ramses, and what era was that? And there is great evidence that for that, for all these things, that this was a credible event in history. And yet Moses, as he's writing Exodus, he doesn't care. He doesn't even put his name in. It is such a good burn. It's like when you deliberately mispronounce someone's name when you meet them. Someone's proofreading Exodus for, for Moses and they're like, oh, oh, Moses, you forgot to put Pharaoh's name in. He's like, oh, did I? No, no not really. <laughs> Just leaves it. Pharaoh isn't named, but Shifra and Pua are known to this day. God is in control. His plan to bless his people and so to bless the world will not be stopped. Even when Pharaoh keeps on raging. So, attempt number three, the Nile. Verse 22, every Hebrew boy that is born, uh, you must throw into the Nile. This is third attempt. Will he fail? Yes. Yes, he will. It will be like watching rope swing videos on YouTube. You just know what will happen. It's all there in the passage as you, as you read it through. But let me point out just the sheer irony of it as we go. Again, from the start, you see these connections uh, back to the start of Genesis. Uh, Moses' mother, it says that she saw that he was a fine child. Uh, that's not just that he was good-looking, but she, she looks at him and says, he's good part of this good creation that God has made. And she puts him in a basket. Uh, Literally, it's an ark, uh, this boaty thing that's covered in in tar, just like Noah's ark was. And so right, right away, we're looking for God's rescue. This is how God works. He rescues people like this in incredible ways. And just like in Genesis, God's promises come about through an amazing unexpected child and so here is this 
uh, amazing, unexpected child. But do you notice uh, the irony here? Pharaoh's command is that every Hebrew boy that is born, uh, you must throw into the Nile. But Moses' mother disobeys that order by throwing him in the Nile. It's, it's kind of, it makes, it's kind of inception in your head. And even more, right, she's putting him in the Nile in disobedience to Pharaoh and she's doing it to try and get him away from Pharaoh, thinking that maybe the river will take him uh, further away and he'll be found by foreigners and, and taken far from Pharaoh. And then what happens in the story? Down comes Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's own daughter is the one who finds the baby. And everyone is making these plans and God is in control. God's plans to bless the world, to bless his people, they they never take the path that you expect. But that's exactly what God does. He does it to show how unstoppable he is. Moses' mother wants him far away and he ends up in the palace. It's amazing. And Pharaoh has this decree to kill the babies. He, He wants to get rid of some Israelites. But he can't. Slavery doesn't work. The midwives roll him and now his own daughter. Just the irony of it. The poor guy. Just, you just look at this, this guy. He's meant to be the, the most powerful man in the world and he can't get this done. See the kindness of God here. The kindness of God to his oppressed people. Even while Pharaoh commands infanticide, his own daughter has compassion. Verse 6, chapter 2, she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Just an amazing scene, right? Just amazing kindness from the sovereign God who's in control. Uh, One moment she's putting her three-month-old child into the water, and the next moment uh, Pharaoh's daughter is handing her back safe, hers to nurse, hers to raise. Just a beautiful moment. You've got to feel sorry for Pharaoh. <laughs> what happens? Verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. <laughs> Poor old Pharaoh. His daughter comes back to the palace. Dad, can I have some money? He's like, I'm sorting out the Hebrew babies thing uh, in a bit. He just wants to get rid of some Israelites. Is it so hard? Now he, he is literally paying to keep them alive. And you get to this point and you think, it can't get any worse for this guy. Uh, But one last twist of the knife, one final irony for him to live with. Verse 10, uh, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. (laughs) 
So she gives him the name Moses because it sounds like draw out. And Pharaoh's order was that you throw them in. And it's just like, no, throw them into the Nile. Don't draw them out of the Nile. And now he has to live with this little Moses running around all the time. He's got this kid, his grandson. And every day he's calling out, Moses, Moses, draw out, draw out. Why can't we throw them in? Draw out. Where are we? It's just like, oh. It's so perfect. It is so perfect. He tries three times and three strikes. Slavery just makes them more numerous. The midwives get families of their own. And the Nile River just brings Hebrew boys into his family. Such a great irony. Pharaoh gets done. He stands against the promises of God and he gets wiped out. God's plan to bless his people, to bless the world, is unstoppable. And you see that pattern all through the Bible. As you fast forward into the New Testament, to the life of Jesus, that is exactly what happens. Uh, This climax of God's rescue plan for the world, the point where his blessing goes out to the world, starts with another miraculous birth. And again, the powers of the world try and stand against the plan of God. If you've got a Bible, flip forward to Matthew chapter 2. This is uh, worth seeing exactly the same pattern taking place in the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, verse, pick it up from verse 13. When they had gone, they is the the wise men, the magi. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, that's the king of that area, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Say the same thing. The powers of the world stand against the plans of God But even in the face of that kind of evil, the face of Herod or uh, Pharaoh killing children, God's plan to bless the world is unstoppable. But it does happen amid darkness. Did you notice that? Right here in Matthew 2 and in Exodus 1, it's actually a very dark time. Like There's there's humour in that passage And yet the reality is that the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The children are being killed, taken from their families. And the the Israelites themselves have gone from being welcome partners in this society to being outcasts and, and a threat. And yet God is still in control. He brings moments of joy and light to the midwives, to Moses' mother, but it is still a dark time. 
But the point is that Exodus chapter 1 tells you who is in charge, who is in control, even in the dark times, even when it doesn't look like it. God is sovereign over evil rulers and evil times. And in fact, he subverts human powers and human plans for his own purposes. People rage against him and he uses that for his own ends. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, my kids watched uh, Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons for the very first time and they... They're, they're timeless. They love them so much. A five-year-old loves nothing more than seeing a cartoon an animal get squashed by a rock. <laughs> That's, he's going to get hit by that rock. You know that he will. But here's the thing about Wile E. Coyote. He always gets hurt by his own devices. And the more elaborate his schemes, the more it turns back on him. And that's a good picture of what's happening here. That the powers of this world, evil rages against the purposes of God. And as they do it, it just falls back on them. God's control is so total that even even evil, even the worst kind of thing, gets turned on itself to achieve his purposes. And you see that most of all at the cross, this greatest act of evil done to God's Son, That is the thing that God uses to bring ultimate blessing to the world. God's plan to bless the world is unstoppable. So, uh, what do we do with all this? I think the key thing to take from Exodus chapter 1 is confidence. Confidence that God is working his purposes out that nothing can stop God doing what he says. Confidence. And I think that is why it's so funny. That's why the the main effect is irony. Uh, Because the idea is to show that it's easy. It's easy for God. This evil, this opposition from Pharaoh, as wicked as it is, God's not troubled by it. Not at all. He can handle that easily. And so we can have confidence that God's plan to bless the world will not be stopped, not by evil, uh, not by comedians mocking God. I think that's why we find uh, comedians who who mock God so unsettling, Um, because because of the humour of it, because... Tim Minchin is there and he's, he's laughing at God and he looks so confident singing his songs. And if you're someone who is thinking about following God or, or you are a Christian, you, that can suck the confidence right out of you. God, God's not worried. He's not at all concerned. Not concerned about comedians. He takes evil and he turns it to his purposes. He achieves his purposes no matter what stands against him. He is not worried at all. So we can have confidence. And that's important. That's important for us to to drill into our hearts that we can have confidence in the purposes of God, the plans of God to rescue this world. Because hard times will come. Dark times, like 
uh, the times of Exodus 1. And in those moments, we need to remember that God is in control. God has acted in history to show that his plans will not fall apart in the face of evil or in the face of people mocking him. God's plans to bless his world are unstoppable and we can have confidence in that.